guys, today I'm going to read chapter 3 of the Shakespeare Spy, so here I go. We stood shivering in the cold for several minutes before the flap of the tent lifted and a woman emerged. She looked utterly out of the place here with her richly embroidered gown, her stretched neck ruff, her elegantly and her elegantly coffered hair. Lifting her skirts a little, she brushed past us, leaving a sweet scent from the plumander hanging in her wake. I take it, said Polly. That is not Madame La Vision. No, Sam lifted the flap and motioned us inside. The interior of the tent was dim and so thick with asteroid smoke that I could scarcely see, let alone breathe. Be seated, said the same rasping voice we had heard before. Stifling a cough, I eased myself into the rickety three-ledged stool. Sam sat on one of the remaining stools. Sal Pelvey stood just inside the tent flap, shifting about breathlessly, as though ready to make a run for it, for it if necessary. When my eyes adjusted to the lack of light, I could make out a hunched figure whose head was waffled in the number city, moth-eaten scarves. Her hands were a pair of equally soiled kid gloves with fingerprints, fingertips cut off, allowing the ends of her fingers to produce. When I wiped up my stinging eyes, I could see that her knuckles were clustered with, multitude, with a multitude of small warts. On the wooden table before her, cradled between her palms, was a surprisingly clean cloth that concealed something surfacial. The ground next to her sat a black iron kettle, and the source of smoke had threatened to suffocate me. I leaned forward and peered into the cauldron, half expecting to find some eldritch brew of newet's eyes and adder's tongues, but I saw only growing chunks of Newcastle coal, coal with no purpose more sinister than to warm the tent. Lavazion's hoarse voice issued from the folds of her several scarves. And what? Do you young ladies wish of me? Sam gave a feeble laugh. Ladies? We're no ladies, madam. Perhaps not today, she replied slyly. But sometimes, yes. Sam glanced my way and lifted his eyebrows slightly. How did you know? It is my business to know things. Could you, could you tell us our futures then? When love is yawn made no answer, Sam shifted uncomfortably in his seat and seemed about to repeat the question. When the soothsayer laid one of her hands on the table, palm up. Oh, Sam dug in his purse for a penny, which he dropped into her worn glove. I've told your fate before, said Lavision said, when she pointed a finger in my direction. I will tell I will tell his. He laid aside the cloth, revealing the globe, perhaps six inches across, fashioned with some stu- substance 
was black as coal. I had been it, it had been polished until it seemed darkly like a pupil of an enormous eye. I stared into the ball for a long. She stared for into the ball for a long while. Finally, she spoke in a tone so bleak and ominous that it made me shudder. I see, she said, you will come into a fortune. Sam's face took on a look of surprise and indignation. That's the same thing you told me. Not so, said Lavazion. What I said was, you will receive more money than you can imagine. That's the same thing, isn't it? When the cunning woman made no reply, he fished out another coin and clapped into her palm. Tell mine again, as you wish. While she peered into the ball, I sat waiting the words she had directed at me. Fortune? How could I possibly come into a fortune? I could hardly inherit it. My mother had died in a poorhouse and had no notion of my father was. Perhaps, as Sam implied, the cunning woman gave more or less the same prediction to everyone. After all, the folk were more likely to come back and bring their friends if she told them what they wanted here. Lavazion lifted her head but said nothing. Well, Sam prompted her, you are certain to you wish to hear it? Of course. What is it? What do you see? The cunning woman turned toward him and caught for the first time a glimpse of her visage. The skin of her face was as thickly covered with warts as a pox victim is with scars. I see that you will turn a traitor. Sam gasped at her for a moment before he found her voice. That's not prediction. That's accusation. You you said you wished to hear it, and now I wish to have my penny back. I didn't pay good money. I didn't pay good money to be insulted. I'm not responsible for the future holds. I merely say what I see. Sam got to his feet, grumbling under his breath. Yes, well, if you ask me, you need spectacles. He waved self-healthy toward his stool. It's your turn. I, I don't believe I. Self-healthy started to say. Sam cut him off. Come on now, stoop your wingering and take it like a man. Your future couldn't be possibly any worse than mine. Reluctantly, self-healthy perched on the edge of the stool. You've got to give her a penny, Sam reminded him. Though perhaps you'd do well to make it a twopence. You might get a better reading. He turned to me. Not to forget, you owe me a penny. You can well afford it, I added with a secret wink. Seeing as how you're coming to a fortune at all. Silence, hissed Lavazion. She gazed into the ball even longer than before. I nearly strangled, lying to keep, trying to keep from the coughing at, as coal smoke wafted about me. When the cunning woman spoke at last, she sounded puzzled. I see. I see. 
Nothing. Sal probably laughed. What does that mean? That I have no future? Sal, love is your, and gave him a look that erased his spectacle smile. Perhaps, she said, I will look again. That is not necessary, Sal probably started to rise. We may keep the penny. Sit, said the woman. Sal probably's knees seemed to bend on her their gourd. I will look again. She hunched over the ball, her nose nearly pressed against it. After a long minute or two, her voice broke the silence, but only barely. She seemed to breathe the words rather than speak them, as though they came forth without her willing to them to or them wishing them to. I see a rough hand gripping you, a knife at your neck. She sat back aberrantly and snatched up the cloth and wrapped it over the clothes. It's gone dark. It has gone dark. But but what did all that mean? Salpalvi demanded. I do not interpret. I only see. Salpalvi got to his feet, obviously angry. But just as debilitatingly shaken. What a lot of a bleak! I know what you're trying to do. You believe that you make only half a prediction. I'll give you money to hear the rest. Well, you're not as good at seeing the future as you imagined for. By my troth, you don't. You'll have no such much as brass farthing from me. He spun around about and pushed through the tent flap. Sam cleared his throat and, with an unmessed meekness, said, "I, um, I'd like to apologize for our friend's behavior. He's a bit hot-headed. That's all." While I'm at it, I apologize for anything I might have said that that might have. You need not. You need not bother. Your false courage," said Levison. "I am not going to call down a curse upon your heads. That is a fate's task, not mine." She pointed toward the flap of the tent. "Go now." She, we did not need to to be told twice. There was no sign of Salpalvi outside. Now, where's where do you suppose I've got to? I I said as he walked back to as we walked back toward Lugbeak. If I were him, I'd go find another soothsayer and get a second opinion. Go should you, I wis. What could we have meant by that? Turning a traitor. Sam waved a hand dismissively. Who knows? Who cares? Obviously, she's just making it all up. When she predicted you'd win the lottery, you believed her. Well, wouldn't you like to believe that you are going to come to a fortune the way she said? Speaking of which. Where's my penny? He gave him a hurt look. 
I gave him a hurt look. Don't you trust me to pay your, you back? I thought we were friends. Sam hung his head. Of course we are, he said. That's why I'd really hate to have pawned you into a pudding if you would give me a bleeding penny. With a scythe, I tossed him a coin from my purse. We'd best find Zalpovi now for... Um... Afore the Skanderbag pounds him into a pudding and takes all his money. Some Skanderbag? Hi, what's wrong with that? Tim shook his head. How long have you been in London? Nearly two years. Why? You still sound as though you'd arrived from Yorkshire yesterday. How do you manage to keep from sounding like such a lob when you're on the stage? I don't can exactly. The same way Mr. Hemmings had managed to not to stammer, I suppose. Sam laughed. One of those, one of these days, you're going to forget your lines and have to dribble, and it's going to come out in Yorkshire. He he put hands in his brow in a party party of the way I played in Ophelia in Hamlet. God's blood. I wish Kalmuskan your back as his noble costured with a waster. He yodeled the last word in the imagination of my uncertain voice. I tried to scowl at him. My features kept wanting to break into a grin. You suck. I'll never again be able to do that scene with a straight face. Unexpectedly, Sam's own expression turned from silly to sober. Whist! Did you hear that? I halted in my tracks and listened. From the dark, narrow alleyway between two buildings came sounds of struggle and then a frantic cry that was cut off abruptly. Oh, guess! I breathed. That, that's Sal Palvi's voice. I'm certain of it. So that was chapter three. Bye guys, see you later. See you later, see you later, see you. See you later. Bye guys. Bye guys.